Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the Gospel, the Christian Gospel that is, was preached to Abraham in advance, according to Paul in Galatians 3 verse 8. Just imagine that the Christian Gospel was preached to Abraham. It would therefore seem to be only logical for Christians to search out the gospel by searching out those dealings that God had with the patriarch Abraham. We find the beginning of the story of Abraham, of course, in Genesis chapter 12. We call your attention to the first four verses of Genesis 12, in which the Almighty God of Israel laid out his grand plan, both for the life of Abraham personally, for Abraham's descendants, for Christ himself, and for the ultimate destiny of our world. You as a Christian should be vitally interested in what God said to Abraham, what God arranged with Abraham by way of covenant, and above all you should be interested in the great land promise made to Abraham. If you're a Christian, said Paul in Galatians 3.29, then you belong to Abraham's seed. You're a member of the descendants of Abraham. You become a member of the family of Abraham, if you're a Christian, Galatians 3.29. And what's more, you become an heir of the promises made to Abraham. And those promises are summed up in Romans 4, verse 13, where we read that Abraham was to become heir of the world. Can you imagine that? You, as a Christian, are heir of the world. Yes, blessed are the meek, said Jesus. They're going to inherit the earth. Matthew 5, verse 5. Jesus' promise of the future inheritance of the kingdom or of the earth is simply the great Abrahamic covenant come to fulfillment and yet waiting final and ultimate fulfillment in that grand kingdom of God to be established on the earth when Jesus returns. The Christian hope, as outlined by the Bible, as confirmed by Jesus, is simply this. It is to live in the land of the promise, the promised land, the land promised to Abraham, that is. Abraham was promised that he would be heir of the world, Romans 4.13. And if you belong to Christ, then you become reckoned as the seed of Abraham, as a true Israelite, a true Jew, if you like, and you become heir of exactly the same promise as was made to Abraham, to David, and to Jesus Christ himself. That's an essentially simple and unified story Everything revolves about the great land or kingdom promise made to Abraham and confirmed throughout the rest of the Bible. We're awaiting the time when that fulfillment is going to come to fruition. You have not yet inherited the kingdom. You have not inherited the earth as Jesus promised. All the faithful of all the ages are going to inherit that famous promise of the land or the kingdom when Jesus returns to take over the reins of world government and to rule on the throne of David from Jerusalem. In view of that grand future laid before the Christian as his hope, as his destiny, let's begin now to trace the origins and the development of that promise, that covenant that God made with the patriarch Abraham. In one of the most solemn declarations of all time, the great God of Israel, the one God of Jewish monotheism, promised to give Abraham an entire country. On a mountaintop, somewhere between the town of Bethel and Ai, 
in the land of Canaan, what we now call the land of Israel, God commanded the father of the faithful, as Abraham is called in Romans 4.16, to look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, because the entire land you're looking at, I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants forever. We'll find that marvelous promise in Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. And as an additional assurance of God's gift to him, God then instructed Abraham, the father of the faithful, to, and I quote, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land. I'm going to give it to you. Verse 17 of Genesis 13. And so you can see plainly that Abraham's conception of the ultimate reward of faith was firmly linked to this earth. The very opposite, I would say, of what we've sometimes traditionally been taught to think of as heaven, a reward far removed from this earth, the very opposite of what was promised to Abraham. Abraham was asked to look northward, southward, eastward, and westward. He wasn't invited to look up into heaven for his reward. He looked across the earth to a land that he could see with his naked eye, and that was to be the object of his hope and his inheritance. As Abraham looked northward, he would have seen the hills of Judea marking the border with the country in the north called Samaria. Towards the south, the view extended to Hebron, where later the patriarchs were to be buried in the only piece of land ever actually owned by Abraham. As he looked to the east, Abraham saw the mountains of Moab. As he looked to the west, of course, the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the divine oath which guaranteed to Abraham perpetual ownership of a large portion of the earth formed the foundation of the famous covenant made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. Later, this promise or covenant was repeated, and once again it was made the basis of a solemn, divinely bound covenant. I quote, And I, God, will establish my covenant between me and you, Abraham, and your descendants after you in their generations as an everlasting covenant. And I'm going to give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you now reside as a stranger, as a resident alien, we might say, as a kind of spiritual tourist, a green card man, to put it in modern terminology. I'm going to give you all of that land in which you now reside as a stranger, that's to say all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8. Now, it would not seem possible that the terms of this promise of God to Abraham could be misunderstood. And yet, by what seems to be a miracle of misinterpretation, theology has handled these innocent passages in a way which actually deprives Abraham of his inheritance and seems to make God an unreliable witness, therefore. Traditional Christian theology has almost no interest in the land promised to Abraham. And you can see this by inspecting the indexes of standard books on theology, Bible dictionaries and commentaries and so on. And yet there can be no doubt that the land and the issue of the land is the single underlying theme of at least the first six books of our Bible. Now, the promise to Abraham that he would inherit the earth or the land was continued in his son. I'm going to establish my covenant with him, Isaac, 
the son of Abraham, as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. My covenant, said God, I will establish with Isaac, Genesis 17, verses 19 and 21. Through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned, God had said to Abraham, Genesis 21, verse 12. To you and your descendants I am going to give all these lands and will confirm the oath which I swore to your father Abraham, Genesis 26 and verse 3. And then to the grandson of Abraham, Jacob, the same promises were repeated. I quote, May God give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham, so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. You'll find that in Genesis 28, verse 4. And I call your attention especially to that phrase, the blessing given to Abraham. A phrase, in fact, repeated in the book of Galatians, which proves, of course, that Paul, as a New Testament Christian, regarded the blessing of the land given to Abraham as absolutely essential to an understanding of the Christian faith. Furthermore, then, to Jacob, God said, I will give you the land on which you are lying. I will bring you back to this land. Genesis 28, verses 13 and 15. And again in Genesis 35, verse 12, these words were spoken to Jacob in confirmation of the great land promise. I quote again, The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I am going to give it to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Now the same promises made to the patriarchs Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were repeated, of course, to the twelve tribes. God will surely come to your aid, we read in Genesis 50, verse 24, and take you up out of this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the promise of the nation of Israel received a primary fulfillment, you remember, under Joshua's leadership. In Joshua 21:45, we find that recorded, that the promise to Abraham was indeed fulfilled in some measure, when the twelve tribes entered the land. But long after the death of the patriarchs, both the law and the writings of the prophets of Israel expressed the conviction that Israel's settlement of the land under Joshua was only an incomplete fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham. That's a most important biblical point. The covenant made with Abraham was never fulfilled personally to Abraham, he never inherited the land, and when the tribes inherited the land, it was only a partial form of fulfillment of the great promise. It should be clear to all Bible readers that the patriarchs had never gained possession of the land as God promised it to them. A further and final fulfillment was therefore to be expected. Now, this point is a simple one, but it has momentous implications for New Testament Christians who become heirs to the Abrahamic covenant, according to Galatians 3, verse 29. A most important biblical text, I might add. Galatians 3, 29 says that if you are Christians, you are reckoned to be the children of Abraham, and therefore you become heirs, along with Abraham, of the great promises of the land. And so this great biblical tradition of the promised inheritance made to Abraham continued to contain the hope of life in the land forever. The book of Deuteronomy makes it quite clear that there's still going to be a future to look forward to. The land has yet to achieve rest and peace. The land is looking forward to a future blessing. 
So you see in the Old Testament the hope of an ultimate and permanent settlement of God's people in the land, accompanied by universal peace, remains always in view. Let me quote to you now from the book of Isaiah and other passages to establish this fundamental fact that the Bible everywhere looks forward to peace coming to the land of Palestine in the future at the return of Jesus. Isaiah 32, verse 18. We read this. My people are going to live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. What a marvelous promise for the people of God. Again in Isaiah 65, verse 9. Descendants from Jacob and Judah will possess my mountains, that's to say my land. My chosen people are going to inherit them, and there my servants will live. Isaiah 60, verse 21. Then all your people will be righteous, said God, and they will inherit the land forever. Again in Isaiah 61, verse 7. Israel will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. Isaiah 61, verse 7, in the Greek version of our Hebrew Bible, reads as follows. Israel is going to inherit the land a second time, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. I leave you to ponder those momentous promises from the Hebrew Bible. We ask you to request our free booklet for your personal Bible study at home. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.